Okay, good morning. Welcome, so good to see you. My name's Simon and uh, I'm lead pastor here with Jenny and I get to share just for the next few moments out of out of the Bible with you. Uh, how exciting, 100 years coming up. Like we're in an exciting season as a church, 100 years uh, coming up in just a few weeks time. Before that we have this series we're calling um, Words to Live By, which is really using the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom as a lens through which we might interpret and look at everyday life. And that's going to be a super accessible series. And so we're encouraging, hey, invite people and let's let's journey together with this book of wisdom on, 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 on and how this affects like real the everyday issues that every single person, no matter what their spiritual belief is, uh, face. And, and, and we can have a good discussion about that. Right now, we are in this, the middle of this series, one small step. We're looking at the message of the gospel. Last week, we looked at the means of the gospel, this empowering, this infusion of Holy Spirit power upon the church to be the messengers of this incredible news. And today, we look at that middle one, the messenger of the gospel, that God wants to use you and I to share this incredible story of Jesus with those in our world. And we're using the, the moon landings, 1969, whether you believe in them or not. All right, go with me, conspiracy theorists. And we're, we're looking at this incredible metaphor of the moon landings where Neil Armstrong uh, descends the ladder out of the lunar module. And as he reaches out with probably some mix of excitement and trepidation, first person ever to put his foot onto the surface of the moon, and as he does so, he, dis- he he proclaims those now sort of immortal words: "It is one small step for me, one small step for man." But this represents a giant leap for mankind, and it reminds me of the message of Jesus Christ: that God so loved the world that He would gave His one and only Son, that whoever Whoever believes shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. What greater impact for mankind could there be than the gift of eternal life? And and no matter how hard the steps we take to share this message with those in our world might be, compared with the eons of eternity, it will always just be one small step. Those small steps that we take that make a profound difference in the lives of people around us. And so we're, we're encouraging people. And what would it take for us as a church community to take one small step? When you look at this little picture of, it's probably not on the moon, it's probably in, in uh, some sort of studio somewhere when they were practicing. But anyway, um, I wonder where are you? If, if sharing the message of Jesus, if, if being active in that in your life is walking around on the moon, okay? Where are you in this picture? And I wonder if some of us are just hiding away in the lunar module. We're just a bit frightened right now. This is like too hard basket. We'll make the teas and, and, and just encourage the troops and, and you guys go. Maybe last week enabled you to sort of poke your head out of the door a little bit. You know, you know, maybe, don't worry, I'm not going to go too high. Health and safety says I'm not allowed to. But anyway, you know, you know, maybe you're coming down and it's like, oh, do I, do I, do I, do I not? You know, maybe maybe you're somebody who's like walked in this sort of area before and you're like, no, actually too scary, I'm going back, you know? Like, I wonder where you are right now. 
And, and I believe that no matter where we are, whether you're sort of in the lunar module, whether you're descending the ladder, where you got, whether you got scared and, you, and you've retreated, or whether, whether you're somebody that's actually learned that you don't just walk on the moon, but you bound like a kangaroo around. I believe every single one of us has a step that we can take. A further step, something more we can learn to, that makes us more effective in sharing this incredible message of Jesus with the world. And so I want to talk about this today. And, and last week, Jenny sort of gave us that picture of rocket fuel. You know, that, that, that the moon, that the rocket didn't get to the moon through pedal power. I mean, that would be entirely ridiculous, okay? There's this incredible fuel that, that forces this, this, this rocket into outer space. And for us, we don't share the message of Jesus on pedal power. It doesn't come through effort, but we wait, we pray, we seek God for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus to life again. We pray, Lord God, pour out your Spirit upon your church that we might be powerful and effective in sharing this message. And this morning we get to this idea of spiritual conversations, this this in relationship with people in our world, what can we learn about having conversations about spiritual things? And I realize that some of you here today have maybe never been in church or you don't believe in Jesus, you're sure about that, or maybe you're not sure. And you're like, well, this is a little bit weird and I don't really... Actually, I'm only here because somebody said, I'll buy you lunch if you come to church. Like, I want to say, welcome. Okay, it is so great that you're here. You are so welcome in this space. And I don't want you to switch off as I, as I talk right now. One of the reasons is because as we talk, you're going to hear, well, what if I chose to follow Jesus one day, what would my life actually begin to look like? This is going to give you a little bit of description. But also, I want to look at spiritual conversations this morning through the lens of John chapter 4. It is one of the most profound and compelling stories in the whole of Scripture. It is incredible. You want to know Jesus' heart for humanity? I don't believe there's, there's, there's any interaction that really describes this in such an incredible way, like his interaction here with this woman at the well. And so what we begin to discover through this is that Jesus is after people just like me and just like you, no matter who you are. So would you turn with me? We're going to turn to John chapter 4. John was written by one of Jesus' best buds, and uh, he wrote this account of um, life following Jesus, and we get to hear this little account that John was a, as an eyewitness of to, to some extent. And we're going to read from John chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, or you don't have a Bible, that is all good. There is some words on the screen. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel. Notice that word, verse 4. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. I just want to take a moment to pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word as we just just bring it out right now. Read it in public right now. Lord God, I pray that you would move by your spirit. I pray that you'd give us insight and clarity and understanding. We want to know more and more about Jesus, that we might live lives that better look like him and love like him in the communities in which we live. Would you use these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, notice that word I told you to pay attention. Verse 4, Jesus had to go to Samaria. Now, if you know Samaria and you know what Jewish, how Jewish people felt like Samaria, it's not actually true. He didn't have to go to Samaria. In fact, um, it was inconvenient for him to go to Samaria. People like Jesus, when they got to the border, they were like, actually, let's turn right as we're heading north and we're going to cross the river and we're going to go around Samaria. We're going to go a longer way because people like Jesus didn't tend to go to Samaria. Okay, there was some bad blood. They used to be part of the same nation. Then there was this like division. There was a sort of civil war. There's some bad blood here. This area of Samaria is called such because they actually began to marry with other areas around and say so they sort of rejected the, the religion of the Jews and they rejected some of the, the culture of the Jews and, and they became ethnically distinct and they were actually enemies. So people like Jesus didn't go to Samaria. So when John says Jesus had to go there, it means something than just he had to go there. It means there's an appointment, there's a reason for him to be there. Also note that when he goes to this place where people like him don't go and and meets people that people like Jesus don't meet, he sits down at a well with a woman. Now, that might seem all right today, but back then that was controversial. Jewish men did not talk to even their own wives in public, let alone somebody else. Then we understand that this woman is there at noon. And historians tell us that that if you were going to collect water in those days, in fact, it was women who went out early in the morning when the sun wasn't up. And this woman that Jesus talks to is there at noon. And we understand later from her lifestyle that actually she was probably the talk of the town. That she'd been through five marriages and the person she was living with now in that village was not her husband. There was She, she, she was not hanging out with those women in the morning because she'd been marginalized from that community. In fact, she might have been one of those people that they love to talk about. And she's hanging out at this well at noon because she is avoiding people. And so what this story shows us is this woman is as different from Jesus as you could possibly imagine. And he had to go there to this ethnically, religiously, lifestyle, different woman marginalized woman because he needed to show his disciples and he needed to show us today that Jesus is about all people. By the end of this story, he's not, they, this, this village goes, you are the savior of the world because Jesus is about every person. Jesus is about the marginalized. Jesus is about the foreign. Jesus is about the, 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 uh, the people whose lifestyles are completely different. Jesus is about people just like me and just like you. And so if you're somebody who's inexperienced with church and you're only just discovering who Jesus is, I want you to know that Jesus is about people just like you. He died for people just like you. He loves people just like you. And we have to understand as a church that, that, that if our Savior, Jesus, went to Samaria, then we've got to go to Samaria. We've got to go to the places that are too hard. We've got to go to the places that are uncomfortable and different. We've got to go to the places where people are marginalized. We've got to go to the places where people are different, where, 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 where the people's lifestyles, we just don't agree with them, nothing like ours. We have to go there because if Jesus went there, so must we. Where's Samaria for you? Where's too hard basket for you? Where have you said, no way, not on this planet? Jesus went there and he says, followers of me, you need to go there too. 
And having got there, Jesus then sits down at the well and he begins to have a conversation. The conversation turns to spiritual things. But notice in uh, verse 7 how it starts. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. Wow, that's profoundly spiritual. <laughs> profoundly spiritual. Can I? It's not even that polite there. I hope he said please. You know, like, like please can I have a drink? But he just asked for a drink. You know, in, in this environment of spiritual conversations, I'm not asking you to be weird. I'm not asking you to suddenly become like somebody that nobody else wants to talk about. I, I think, in fact, be completely opposite to that. Be yourself. Be normal. <laughs> Just talk to people. Build friendships. Since Jenny and I have moved to Miramar, we've been intentional about conversations with our neighbors. We've been intentional about conversations in the playground. I know some of you are too. I don't go to school. My kids go to school. I meet parents in the playground. Just to be clear, like... That sounds weird. It means that when I go to pack and save, I want to say, hi, how are you? It means when I'm in public, I want to hold a door open for somebody because I never know when an opportunity might open up for me to be able to have a spiritual conversation. But it starts in normal things. And I often think that spiritual conversations actually come out of a hundred that are just normal, just everyday things. And all of a sudden, something will happen that turns that here, um, this conversation turns because she knows who she knows that Jesus shouldn't really be talking to her. And she's like, whoa, you want to talk to me? So it turns spiritual for that reason. The Bible's actually full of examples of how conversations turn spiritual for entirely different reasons. You go to uh, Acts chapter 8, you get Philip running alongside a chariot. Like, running might not be your thing. It's not like a prerequisite for having spiritual conversations. But if you find yourself running next to a chariot, find out what the guy's reading. That's what Acts chapter 8 tells us. Anyway... He sees this guy reading Acts and he's like, uh, reading Isaiah and he just asks a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And you realize that actually questions are incredibly powerful tools to invite people, to create safe space and invite people to open up on a deeper level. Every single one of us can ask basic questions. I love to ask, what, what are you reading at the moment? Wow, you're really busy with work. What do you do for downtime? Like, what do you do to refresh? What do you do to keep going? You know, if the, if, if the relationship is right, I love even asking, I'm just wondering, I don't know about your spiritual journey. Do you have any beliefs in that area? Let's just see where that goes. Just ask normal, everyday questions to be interested in people's lives. Acts chapter 14, and this is becoming a bit of a theme of this series, but I want you to, to spot it. Um, Acts chapter 14, there's a miracle that's an occasion for sharing Jesus. I I have more faith for people being healed and miracles happening outside the church than I do in, and I believe in them in the church. But when you understand that actually the authentication of the message of Jesus actually came about through miracles in the book of Acts, then I, I want to pray for people in my world. Just the other day, I'm, I'm out on the street and I'm talking to a person. I won't say anything else so that you don't know who they are. But I'm, I'm talking to this guy and, and, I, and he begins to share about stuff that's going on in his life. And I said, man, this is big for you. Wow. I said, when stuff gets big for me, you know what? This might sound weird, but I pray. And I have nothing else to offer you right now, but would it be weird if we just prayed right now? And he said, no, I'd like that. And we just prayed out on the street. My prayers for him are now very, very different because I'm like, oh God, do that miracle so that he'd know you're real. Miracles can be occasions for spiritual conversations. The final one is in Acts chapter 17 that I want to raise where Paul goes to Athens and he just goes around and he notices what they believe. And he uses that as a way to say, hey, I notice you're super religious, but there's this unknown God that as you call him. Can I tell him, you, who he 
is notice things in people's lives. I look forward to conversations with a lady I see at um, gymnastics. Again, I don't do gymnastics, but my girls do. And, um, and, I, and I met this lady there, and she's a Sikh, and I love to ask her about her culture and ask her about her religion. Did you know if somebody says to you, I'm an atheist, that is not a brick wall to a spiritual conversation? It's a great opportunity for a question. I was wondering, like, no, in my experience, people who say they're an atheist, who hate church, they don't come to that view by accident. I was just wondering, could it, I'd love to hear some of your story around that. People love to talk about it. Ask questions, notice things, pray for miracles. This conversation, though, turns on this moment where uh, where Jesus has what we call a word of knowledge. God reveals something to him that he couldn't have known in any other way than if God um, said it to him. Jesus says, verse 16, go call your husband. He told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. God gives this word of knowledge to Jesus so that he can bring to light the secrets of her world, not to shame her, not to condemn her, but number one, to invite her into an opportunity to make some different choices in life so that her experience of life might be profoundly different. But Jesus also does this because it reveals to her this is a supernatural moment. This is not an ordinary conversation with an ordinary person. This is an extraordinary person that you need to come to know personally. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus, okay, you have, and I don't want to sound Liam Neeson here, but you have a unique set of skills, okay? (laughs) God has given you a unique set of spiritual gifts. And we, I know that biblically, you go to Romans 12, you go to 1 Corinthians 12, okay, these are, these are for building up the body, these for, for using in the church to strengthen and to encourage and to help every single one of us become more like Jesus. But here I see Jesus having a word of knowledge, which is one of those spiritual gifts, in the public sphere, sat down at a well with somebody who doesn't believe in him and doesn't know who he is, and he has a word of knowledge, something supernatural happens in this conversation. And so it leads me to wonder, what are the spiritual gifts that God has given you that he might want you to use, not just in the church, but actually with people outside the church, so that they might have the opportunity of being convinced about the reality of Jesus? Have you ever thought that? I've just chucked some stuff on a slide out of sort of Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, which are great lists of spiritual gifts. Here are some of them. Encouraging. Like, who doesn't need encouraging? God has given you the spiritual gift of encouragement. Encourage people, even if he hasn't. Just encourage people. Like, who's not blessed by that? Giving generously. Serving. Administration. Some of you love filling in forms, love being organized. You never realized it was a spiritual gift. And you've never realized that God might want to actually use that to serve people. Did you know that the ministry, one of the ministries we have at church, uh, Christians Against Poverty, helps people manage their way, work their way out of debt, or manage their finances more effectively so they'd never end up in debt. So much of that stuff, that role, those roles are about compassion, but administration, form filling, being organized. Like God may want to use your love of form filling to reach out with the message of Jesus. We've talked about healing, we've talked about miracles, we've talked about uh, knowledge. 
I want you to go away and have a look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Have a look at those lists. Say, God, what gifts have you given me? And how might I use this to take one small step to share the message of Jesus with those in my world? This conversation changes because the Spirit of God steps in. And one of the reasons prayer and power is so important is because we want to be, when we're having spiritual conversations with people, we want to be listening so intently to them, so interested in them, but we also want to have an ear out. Lord, what would you be saying in this moment? Is there something you want to bring to light that's going to help this person? Where this story sort of finishes up is she comes to believe that Jesus really is this promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And she goes off now to tell her village. Join me in verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of that, because of what the woman had said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said since you, we have heard for ourselves and know that this really this, that this really is the saviour of the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life, you don't just have one testimony, one story of how you became a follower of Jesus. You have many stories of the power and presence of God in your life. And God wants to use those to testify to the reality and the power of God so that people might have the opportunity to believe. And what this little narrative shows us is that some people may believe through that story and some may be intrigued enough to go on a journey in search of Jesus for themselves. Some of you, your stories are dramatic. Some of you, your stories are everyday and boring and you've said, I'm never going to share that. I'm just, I just grew up in a Christian family and, and how could God ever use that story? I want to say that's a lie and you need to repent of that today. Is that blunt enough? I, I talked to parents today whose teenage and, and mid-twenties kids are nowhere in relationship with Jesus despite every effort in their upbringing to do differently. You cannot tell me that if you were a follower of Jesus today and you were brought up in a Christian home that that was a foregone conclusion that you'd still be there today. It is not. And so you need to discover what's the... God... I want to realize that, the, that my story, as mundane as I felt it is, is actually a powerful testimony of the power and presence of God. And I'm going to, I'm going to be willing to share that with people. This woman's story was powerful. And, and so I want to just invite a friend of mine, Bridget, up right now. And she's going to share for five minutes on, on a little snippet of her story of how God powerfully uh, met her. Would you welcome Bridget? Good morning, uh, East Church family. It's good to be back with you this week. Um, it is my privilege this morning to stand here actually excited to talk about my story because for a long time this is not something that I wanted to kind of publicly declare. And the last time I publicly said it, I was getting baptized at wow. the city and I left out a lot of details because of multiple reasons but mainly some anxiousness. So this morning let's talk it out right through. So um, I'm one wow. of the people who's privileged to be introduced to God by my parents, um, but also let it be known that today my parents, um, I don't actually know where they're at with their faith. Right. So um, like Simon said, it doesn't really, you know, um, always pan out how you think. But I stand here today a firm believer in Christ and really happy to be here in that 
Um, as a child, um, we went to church. Um, my parents were involved quite heavily um, with church, and uh, during my childhood as well, I suffered um, trauma from about the age of um, 7 through to 14. Um, and from that, I started to get these ideas like, where's God for me? Why isn't he protecting me? What does this look like to be a follower of Christ if God's just kind of overlooking me? Um, and at 13, I made a wonderful friend at um, high school. And she introduced me to her family, and they were a wonderful Christian family who loved the Lord and just wanted me to be part of the family. They invited me along to everything. Um, I went to youth group and started to think about God for myself, but it's still, there were so many questions from being a kid that were unanswered. So I just kind of um, went along and had fun, and um, then we got to being about 18, and I moved to Wellington for uni. Um, At 18, I started going to church with a lady that I boarded with, And again, I just kind of tagged along. And um, I always seemed to be roped in with people who were not yet believers. I kind of hid in the wings of being like kind of attending, but yay for them because they don't know the Lord yet and I kind of do, so lucky me. Um, At 19, the end of first year, my parents split up officially and pretty much our family fell apart at that point. Um, My parents both struggled from that point with um, suicide and my mum recovered quicker than my dad. My dad, still to this day, that's a really big thing for him. So um, that's caused a lot of strife in our family. Um, but at 19, that left me feeling a lot of weight and a lot of um, anger and brokenness. Um, I moved home and had anxiety really bad. I tried to work a job, and that didn't really work out for me. Um, but I, I continued that turbulence, unfortunately, right through my young adult years of being like 19, 20, 21. 22. At 22, things had got really bad. I was self-harming. I had um, isolated myself from pretty much everyone I knew and trusted. Even my most trusted Christian friends, um, I just would refuse phone calls, stay at home. Um, And lucky for me, and thank you God, I was living with some students who were really passionate about the word, and they were part of Student Life. You might be familiar with Student Life um, Ministry. Um, They were flirting with me, and they would talk about apologetics in the gospel all the time and I found that infuriating <laughs> and <laughs> and really upsetting yeah. actually because everything started coming to the surface about how I didn't actually know God and so for a long time I rebelled against that but at some point there was a cracking um, and at that point I actually was checked in to go to a rehab home up in Auckland to it's a um, it's called a girl called Hope you might have heard of it um, so they offered me a place, and I had a phone call with a lady um, from there, and she said to me, I think this is going to disrupt uni, and I don't think this is the best place for you to be. So if you don't want to do this, let's pray together right now that God would heal. And so I was at the end of my rope, and so we did. We prayed on the phone, and I didn't really feel any different. Um, but I had this, this feeling that this wasn't the end of things. Um, I wasn't suicidal myself, but I did wonder what else there might be. Um, So it was a really dark place for me. But at 22, on the floor in my bedroom, I surrendered to Christ. And I'd wondered my whole life what that would look like or feel like. And it really was just admitting, you are God. You are the one who's going to change things for me, who's going to heal me. I can't do it myself. I knew that for sure. Um, And so in giving my life to Christ, I kind of waited to see what would happen. (laughs) Would there be some kind of um, big revelation for me? And actually what I got was a thirst for the word and a thirst for prayer, and a thirst to be around 
anything that would teach me about God. And so wow. that became my next leg of my story. And I'm still kind of dealing with ebbs and flows. Like I've got a broken family still. I've got um, things that still need healing. I've had a long life of um, trying to trust God. But today he's really saying to me, trust me and show me um, how much you love me because I love you so much more. And so wow. looking into the word now is a joy and prayer is a joy. Um, and I've just started having a real heart for the lost as well. That's something I'm praying for. So mm. that's a bit of my story. So there you go. Wow. So good. Wow. So here's the challenge this week. Here's the one small step. And maybe it's, it's to go to Samaria. I don't know, for some of you, that isn't a far-off place. The two hard places home. Let's be people willing to go to Samaria. Let's be people willing to be normal and have spiritual conversations. But can I, can I, can I challenge us? Do you know your story? Do you know the, the stories of the power and presence of God? And are you able to articulate those efficiently and clearly? And so one of the challenges I want us to take up this week is to write a hundred word story. Write your story or write a testimony of God in your life in a hundred words or less. It's a thing out of organic outreach. I found it really powerful. Here's what that story is going to look like. What was it like before? How did God change that? You know, where did Jesus step into that? And what's it like now? Okay, use everyday language. If you have, if you see an opportunity, ask for permission. Hey, would you mind if I shared something of my story right now? And write it in a hundred words. And challenge yourself to do that. And it's amazing how quickly a hundred words goes, and it's quickly how much you can actually pack in there. Let me share you my story in a hundred words. When I was at uni, uh, I studied to earn a lot of money, and I lived to play rugby. I drank lots. I I don't know why I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I drank lots. My language was appalling. I cheated on every single girlfriend I had. A friend of mine invited me to church, and uh, I heard about Jesus. And I made a decision to follow Jesus, and I said, God, you're going to have to change me. Help me to live differently. And do you know the amazing thing? I went away from there. I did not try harder. I didn't try and follow a whole heap of rules. But all of a sudden, I found I didn't want to cheat anymore. I didn't want to get drunk anymore. I didn't want to swear anymore. My life, as you can probably imagine, is dramatically different today. And it's not different because I got religious. It's not different because somebody gave me a whole heap of rules and I've ticked those off every day since. I'm different because God changed my heart. It's about 100 words. That's my story. And you have a story. You have many stories. I have stories of provision. I have stories of healing. I have stories of heaps of stuff. Can I challenge you? Write them down in a hundred words and then say, oh Lord, would you give me the opportunity to share this with people in my world? Is that okay? Right. Well, let's respond. I just want to, Jamo, do you want to come up? Let's worship. And uh, there's two responses I have in mind this morning. And the first one is, for if you are somebody who when you look at your story, you haven't had that God moment yet. 
you're still in that, this is what things were. But God hasn't changed that yet. It's an incomplete story. And it's an incomplete story until you hear that God so loved you that he sent his one and only son to die in your place. That whoever believes, that's what the Bible says, whoever believes, from the woman at the world to the most religious person anywhere, every single one of us needs Jesus. Whoever you are, Jesus loves and died for someone just like you. And if you would believe in him today, he will give you the gift of eternal life. He will, like, like Bridget was saying, he'll come in and he'll, he'll change your heart. He'll change your life around if you will let him. But it begins in a moment like this where you say, where you acknowledge, I'm far from God. I cannot get across that divide by pedal power, but I believe that Jesus died for me. And I'm going to surrender to that. Would you join me in prayer right now? And if you are somebody who says, I want to, I want to pray a prayer right now. I want to, I want to come to that moment of surrender right now. Would you pray? Let me give you some words to articulate what it is that you're responding to. God, I want to thank you that you love me. You love me. So much that you sent Jesus to die in my place. And I believe that today. And as I believe, I ask you to forgive me for my wrong. And I ask you to give me a brand new life. And I ask you to send your spirit like people have talked about today. Not to give me religion or rules, but to help me every single day to become more and more like Jesus. Complete my story today. Change my life today. Give me eternal life today. And help me to share this story with those in my village. With those who haven't met you yet. That my story might be a part of people coming to believe in you. I pray this in your name today. Amen. Amen.